I'd like to share with you something that is along the way to our fall conference. And I've always believed that the fall conference is not just point of, a point in time in which we hope something ooh, wonderful will be happening. But we believe that the Lord is the Lord, not only of fall conference, but of all of time. Amen? And that He's moving us towards His purposes. And because of that, I do believe also that every day before fall conference is a day in which God is doing something and building us up towards what He's wanting to do. There's always a, God is always a God of preparation. And I want to encourage you to pray about it, pray about coming to Fall Conference, because I've never found a Fall Conference that we have had in VCF in which God doesn't move very, very transformingly and powerfully in our midst. And so I want to invite you to be a part of this, but more than that, because some of you will not be able to make it for the conference. What we are interested in is, is the thing that God is building in us individually and as a church. And so, today what I want to share with you is another step along the way, and it's found in Matthew chapter 25. And if you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. We will read parts of it because it's such a long chapter, we won't have time to read all of it. And um, today I, uh, I'm practicing doing an outline. I forgot about it, yes, last week. But this week, I, I remembered. And so here's my little outline. Wow, I did all that. Okay. Let's read it from verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout. Or the King James Version, I think, says that at the midnight hour, which is uh, significant because the midnight hour was considered the hour in which demonic spirits were mostly uh, rampant, yeah? So the midnight hour is not just uh, 12 o'clock uh, from 12 to 1. The midnight hour is a time in which it was seen even in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Jewish uh, uh, legend, history, folklore, etc., um, as a time in which things are darkest, yeah? So at the midnight hour, or at midnight, there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us, and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who had already went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. For it is like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. 
Verse 17, In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more, but he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who has had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have done, you have now what is yours. And his master answered and said to, to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I re- reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. That is an interesting explanation of why things seem to be unfair for some people. I don't mean that. I don't, I'm not speaking a, a, a blanket statement of all, uh, about all injustice. I'm just talking about certain situations where it seems as if some people seem to get more and more and more to such an extent they don't need and they keep on getting, and those who have great need don't seem to be getting. And it seems so unfair. And what Jesus is saying is this, that in certain cases, there's a dynamic that's involved, a kingdom dynamic. For to someone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's another section that I will not have time to read to, read to you because I'm not sure whether I will have time to, 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 to bring it up. So this sermon is in three sections following the three parables. Each of these things speak to us about crucial things in our life that can determine whether we, during hard times, experience the tremendous abundance of God or we actually end up dragged down into uh, desolation. Yeah? These, there are crucial things that Jesus is bringing about, secrets of the kingdom that are treasures for us. And if we listen to what he's saying, these things can make a difference in terms of how we prepare for the future. Yeah? Prepare for the future. I want to talk about something called eschatology. Eschatology, it's, it's not a, a type of cell, shellfish, okay? Shell eschatology has to do with what this series of uh, parables is about. It has to do with the end time, the coming of the Lord, okay? But it doesn't only have to do with end times. It has to do with eschatology. It has to do with the the movement of time towards its culmination, towards the end days. 
it does not only include the end of days, but includes the way in which history and time is moving. Okay? There's so, a thousand years ago, history was moving eschatologically, even though it was 1,000 years before Christ comes back again in the end of days. Eschatology has to do with the way in which God is moving things and how He works in the world in view of His coming. You may die before He comes. You may die long before He comes, but you are living in a time that's not neutral. It is actually moving with respect to the coming of God's presence. And so, when we talk about eschatology, we talk about the coming of the Lord, not only on the end days, but we are talking about the coming of the Lord in our day when His presence fulfills His purposes. It's almost as if history moves in cycles. Cycles that may include revival. It moves in cycles in which his, he prepares us for outpourings of His presence and power and manifestation in such a way that He's coming. It feels as if He's coming. That's why the early church actually thought that He was coming in their lifetime, but they experienced His coming in a different way. In the, they experienced His coming in terms of His manifestation, the manifestation of His presence. Does that make sense? That's called eschatological. It may be a thousand years before Jesus comes back, we can, but we can experience many so-called eschatons, many times in which Jesus manifests Himself. And when He manifests Himself, He comes in judgment. His judgment can be one of tremendous blessing for us, or it can be a time of tremendous devastation for us. But when we talk about judgment, you don't talk about punishment so much as things begin to be revealed, things pan out, things shake out in such a way that what we have, how we have lived, will manifest themselves. Does that make sense? So the, 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 the three parables that we're, well, the, the, the two parables that we're looking at today have a lot to do with that. Eschatology has to do with the fulfillment of God's purposes in time, okay? And the first thing I want to say is that God fulfilled His purposes and in spite of the fact that historical forces and human will is involved, okay? What does that mean? It means that, yes, what we do has a lot to do with our choices. If you, if you choose rightly, if you choose God, there is something wonderful that can begin to be ushered into your life, right? It has a lot to do with us. It's not just predetermined, God decides, inshallah, and things are going to happen that way. It has to do with how God actually is moving and pleading and arranging things so that we can all have the best chance of seeing Him and seeing His blessing. Yeah, okay? He works in the midst of our will, the will of evil men, good people, bad people, men and women, just doing all kinds of things. He works within the framework of our choices. Yeah? Okay? Eschatology has to do with the way Holy Spirit moves towards an end. It's not, it's not random. It's not... It's not like many Eastern mysticisms in which you say everything's going in a circle. No, God is moving things towards an end. Amen? Does that make sense? 
Eschatology has a lot to do. It has to do also with the second point that I'm going to make, that God has good in mind for us. Eschatology is not something in which he's saying, okay, these random words, random things in this world, you just do the best you can and, and put me first, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be the judge of it. No, it is, eschatology has to do with the fact that God is wanting to work out his good for you. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, God has brought us to birth into a living inheritance, incorrupt, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that amazing? That when his appearing comes, that, that inheritance will be fully known, fully experienced by you. Eschatology has to do with the way in which God is actually moving things so that what he has prepared for you and me will actually have the best chance of, of, uh, of um, being fulfilled. Eschatology is a move of God's goodness. Amen? Of his good purposes for us. Now, we can sometimes perversely actually work against that. And these parables are a lot about that. The third thing that I want to say is that we, have, we play a big part in what God does. This whole way in which God is moving things, and if we do not resist the Holy Spirit, but we can work within Him, work with Him, God actually has a big part for you to play in your destiny and mine. Okay? And the fourth thing, according to this nifty um, outline, is that there are crucial moments that are decisive in our lives. Yeah? There are crucial moments that can determine how things happen. So today I just felt the Lord would uh, give us a word about what are crucial in our lives that can prepare us for blessing. Even as we prepare for the fall conference, I believe even the eschatological time of God is moving, moving us towards His purposes. Eschatology has to do with the fact that when time moves, there is purpose in it. Amen? All right. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that you really have something for us, that our lives are appointed and time has appointed purposes and that you care for us in such a way that that care is individual. And so we recognize the fact that even as we are meeting as a group, you have a word for us, not only as a group, but as personal individuals. So speak to us, Lord. You who knew what each one of us has gone through this week, you have an appointed word for each person. So I pray, we pray together that you would strip off anything that would cause us to be dulled, insensitive, desensitized, hardened, or clouded to this that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you notice that in these two parables, the time frame in which these characters were experiencing something that they were waiting for 
was elongated. It was long. Remember the, the, man, the man who had the talents? It says he waited a long time. He came back after a long time. Yeah? And the first one had to do with the fact that they were waiting for the bridegroom and he was delayed. Delayed. And so we're talking not, a, not just about short-term things, but we're talking about a time frame in which it's long or there is delay. It takes longer than expected. What do you do when you've been waiting for something that God was going to do, but it took longer than it expected? There seemed to be a delay. Yeah, I mean, think, think about this framework, okay, as we're as we thinking about it. Well, last Sunday I shared with you about meetings that the Lord arranged for me when I went back to Malaysia. And somehow we had these lunches and dinners and all that with several people who, were, who, who randomly and spontaneously arranged these things. And they were people that I had discipled and I had pastored when I was in Malaysia. And I had not seen them for about 21 to 25 years before. The circumstances in which I left Malaysia to come to here, to, to, to America, to, to be involved in the, the planting of the church with Cindy, had to do with the fact that um, I was leaving a church and I was not sure how the people in my church, churches, there were about uh, six of them, six, six churches, would do, yeah, would do. And honestly, I prayed like crazy for them. I, get, I had given about a year and a half's notice before I left, but I was worried for them, very worried. And they had been growing really amazingly. But what was amazing about some of these meetings that I had was that different people represented different churches that I was involved in. And they were coming back and telling me, in this 21 years, we never got a chance to see you or to talk to you and all that. But we want to tell you what God has done through us. And we want to remind you of what you, we did when you, when you were crazy as a 20, 20 30-year-old person, young pastor. We, and we were crazy as well as young Christians. And they reminded me of casting out demons, healing the sick, doing crazy things, starting a Christian fellowship in a nightclub. Remember I shared with you, and how now we are branching out into even greater things and we are ministering to people on the streets and we've started this, 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 this group for the, for the people who do not know, do not know Jesus and all that, who are full of needs. And we're having five to seven hundred people coming for these things and ministry is happening. And, 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 and they, they were telling me about this. I was sharing with you about this. There's more, actually. There's more I didn't get a chance to share with you. And, I, and, and, and so there are other groups of people who shared with me about other things that they were doing in different parts. These guys were in an urban setting. Others were in a rural setting. And I just remember um, having this, this worry for them and then hearing that over time, Time had not destroyed or diminished them, but had strengthened them and had made the seeds that were planted 20, over 20 years ago into something that was fruit that I was flabber, I mean, flabbergasted and blown away about, you know? Um, and, I, and I remember how different people were saying, you know, Malaysia is such a, such a, such a rainy place. It's just rain, 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 rain. The weather forecast... We don't have weather forecasts. We, we already can forecast what the weather is going to be. In the summer, 
we have convectional rain, the sun heats up the ground, the, 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 the air rises, causes clouds, and we have convectional thunderstorms. Someone, someone, someone shared about it. We did not have a church. We didn't have a church building. But we had started ministering to people just where they were. But it was open air. And every time we did that in the afternoon, because people could only come in the afternoon, we knew that there would be thunderstorms. And so we called them out to, to, to minister to us, uh, for us to minister to them and, and whatever their needs. We would pray for them. We would give them whatever they needed and we would pray for them. And when we prayed for them, they would be healed. People would be healed on the streets and it was very dramatic and they shared about how people would just jump up and down or, or there would be manifestations and all that. But he says, one of the things that we experienced was this. We would see the storm clouds coming every day almost. Every day we would see the, the clouds getting more and more and more predictably heavy. And I remember one of them telling me, the people will not want to come because they didn't want to get struck by lightning. They didn't want all that. And he said, and I challenged them, and the boldness of the Lord came upon me. I challenged them that, I'm, that we will pray against the storm. It was already drizzling, and you could see it was just black above us. And I prayed, and he says, the moment I prayed, the storm clouds continued to be heavy and dark, but, this, but the, the rain stopped. And we had 200 people there. 200 people just there. And we prayed for every single one until the, everyone got prayed for. And we saw people who were lame with, with strokes and all that begin to walk, begin to walk and different things like that. That was amazing. That was amazing. And he says, we continued that for days after days after day during the rainy season as well. And God would actually did. As a result of that, more people came to the Lord as a result of this weather <laughs> miracle than even pray, being, being, being healed. That's amazing. And sometimes that happens. Some pe- sometimes we see people being miraculously healed, but they don't necessarily become Christians. You never know. God actually works. I remember... All of them sharing about how these 21 years were the most difficult years in their lives. Some of the ones, the men that were were with me, lost their wives to cancer, to different sicknesses. Different people lost their businesses, lost their jobs. They experienced tremendous pressure. They experienced persecution and all that. And all of them, in in this particular group of people that I was talking to, experienced tremendous fiery, fiery furnace of testing. The fiery furnace of testing. And I just, I was just shaking my head in unbelief at the things that they had gone through. And they said, Pastor, you know, when you left, we didn't know whether we were going to make it or not. But you did say you were praying for me every day. You prayed and praying for us. And you know what? We actually made it through. And it's after we went through the fire that God released his anointing upon us. It's after we went through the fire. 
But by the time we went through the fire, we had no illusions about how God was going to work in a kind of an easy, easy way. We knew that at the end of it, we were just hanging on to our faith. We were just hanging on to the Lord. And praise God, we learned how to hear from Him and we learned how to just stay in there, just to be having an endurance. But one, one of the things that I realized is this, the testing is part of the anointing. Yeah, the testing is part of the anointing. And there's a way in which, as a church, I'm really burdened and exercised to pray for all of us that we will be people who will not be just happy Christians, whoop-de-doo kind of Christians, but Christians who can actually say, after they have gone through the fire, that God is faithful and we have stronger faith than we had before. Amen. There are going to be times in which, for all of us, things will not look like they're good. And God will seem like He delayed. And during the delay, all kinds of questions will come up in your mind. Is God with us? Is God really what He says He is? Or should we settle for a less exaggerated <laughs> account from the, on, from the Bible and believe that actually really all these stories were just exaggerated accounts? Accounts said by people who are pre-scientific, who don't really know about the Bible, about science and all that, but who call these miracles miracles when they're not really. Shall we just settle for it? And I just remember that, uh, that during that time um, when I was with them, some of those who I met with were in politics and they were MPs. MPs, you don't have MPs here. You have state representatives and congressmen and congresswomen. MPs are members of parliament. So some of them, I, I knew them when they were young. They were, they were students. I would never have thought that they would be politicians, but they were all rep just representing their own constituencies, a lot of them rural, rural ones, and saw how God tested them in their integrity and in the very, very corrupt uh, environments that they were in. The testing. I believe that our theme for the fall conference, Abundance in Adversity, is something that is is something that the Lord is actually going to be addressing for us. And I believe that what the Lord is preparing for us is to be a company of people who experience His abundance in adversity. Not because just the words of God say so, but because of the fact that He has taken through the, us through the fire and um, we are experiencing these, um, these lessons that we see in Matthew chapter 25. Let's talk about the first one. It's a very interesting um, um, passage. And it's so interesting that we may end up just on that first parable, but hopefully we can move on. It says, The kingdom of heaven, verse 1, will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were, pr were prudent. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. And now when the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. It's interesting that this parable makes allowance from the fact, for the fact that there are delays. And during such delays, we fall asleep. We get drowsy and we lose our faith 
in terms of its, its, its vibrancy and its gung-ho-ness. Can you find? I like that. I like that, that Jesus makes provision for us. And he's saying that, you know what? There are going to be times in which you'll be tested because the delay of God coming to you to rescue you is so poignant that you will feel that you are asleep. You, all those promises that you were holding like fire in your heart seem to have slipped away. And so much because, because of that, you are not at your best. You are not at your best. And may I suggest to you that actually for the Christian life, the real test of where we are spiritually is when we are on a bad, having a bad day. It's not that the bad day is an anomaly, but the thing that Jesus is speaking about is that I want you to have the oil of the Holy Spirit so much so that when you have bad days and you're tempted to fall asleep and you actually lose it, you are still anointed. You are still anointed. And the thing about it is this, not what you consciously keep in your heart when you are prepared for testing, but when you're not prepared for testing, where you didn't expect it, where the delay was totally out of line from what you're all, expect, all your expectations, how your feelings of expectation and all that was so great. And the delay completely um, 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 deflated all that. It's when you get deflated. It is when you come to your wit's end that you are tempted to fall asleep to the promises of God or the, the things that God promises your family or says about your future. And the interesting thing about it is this. Both the foolish virgins as well as the wise virgins fell asleep. Have you experienced this? You come into a situation, into a job or in a church, and you have these great prophetic exciting expectations. And then, it doesn't happen. And because it doesn't happen, that long period of delay has made you not know whether those things were really from God or from, from your, your noodles last night or from just immature feelings that you had. Have you experienced that? When God gives us a promise, we read a promise in the Word, we interpret it a certain way. I found that when I was younger, I expected the time frame for it to be fulfilled to be much shorter than what I do now. But what I do now is, is, uh, feel now is this, because time is eschatological, that time can cause me to experience bits and bits of fulfillment even in real time, even now. But those bits, of piece and bits and pieces that I experience, especially internally, portend, speak to, point towards the full fulfillment in the future. Does that make sense? Hello? There's going to be a big fulfillment. Big things are about to happen. But not necessarily right now. Maybe, but not all not right now. But there are bits, spots, 
seedling spores of, of, of fulfillment that are being planted in now. And if you have an eschatological view, you will think of this this way. Ah. Peter, John, and Mary, I've been praying for them. They're experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not revival, but there's a spot of that. And the, and the, and the, and the rabbinic, uh, rabbinic um, um, believers had this phrase, this is that, this is that. We see something in prayer, something moves, God speaking. Uh, this is that. It's not that fulfilled. No, no, that's not revival. It's not revival. It's not the big thing that God's happening, that God is promising, but it's a piece of that. Does that make sense? I believe that. I believe that. And we as a, as a people are wanting to learn how to be very good at reading the spores, reading the seeds, reading these things. Because when we can read these things, when these things happen and there's testing and there's, there's shaking, we are not moved. We know how to move through these things because the midnight hour is the hour when these things are going to happen. And the midnight hour is, is the hour in which you and I are going to be tested and when you're tested, you are going to be stretched. And when you're stretched, every temptation against you to actually give up and to fall away is going to be there. The midnight hour is the hour when you're at your wit's end. It's when you're at your wit's end, at the end of your wit. The end of the knowing what to do. Yeah? And so, may I suggest to you that uh, a little bit of what I shared with you it's a bit of an illustration, uh, you know, when I'm sharing about those people that I, in, that I met in Malaysia. That, uh, they were experiencing. It's in this place where we are tested that things actually come to pass. Yeah? Matthew chapter 25. The delay. The delay causes us sometimes to lose a grip on our promises. And so some of us will find we're not that gung-ho. We're not that gung-ho. We're coming to church, and you're wondering, why am I coming to church? Look at everybody's faces. They're sweating. They're not smiling. They're not even greeting me. They're not that Look at that. Look at that. But I'm going to come anyway. I'm going to just come. I don't have much faith, but I'm just going to be faithful. That's the sleeping part. That's the delay part. That's the part in which when I've lost superficial faith, there's underlying in me faithfulness that in spite of the fact that I can't really be that enthused about what God's doing, I'm not jumping up and down. I'm not dancing in the spirit. I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm just trusting God. It's these times when God calls us. And when during those times, we just look to God. We just look to God. We're at our wit's end. And anything can happen, good or bad. But we have, do not have it within our own power to make any difference, any change in that. And that wit's end area is the place where 
we experience the delay. How many of you have experienced that? The delay is the time in which when we experience the end of our dream, when all our dreams fall apart, and every thought, everything we thought that God was saying falls apart, that what God was really saying begins to come and begin to emerge. You see, Joseph had dreams, and he had an idea of what the dreams were, but those dreams totally fell apart. And they call him a dreamer. It is when those things fall apart that God helps us to see that when we have lost hold of God, God is actually holding us. Even when we have no power to hold on to him. We can just come up and turn up every day. We just pray. Don't know what's happening. Don't know whether God's answering or not. We just pray. The wise people kept their, their, their oil. Now, the foolish women didn't bring oil. That's pretty incredible, right? That you would actually come for a wedding and not bring your own oil. But I may say, I didn't know they were going to be delayed. I didn't know the bridegroom was going to be tardy. I didn't know they would have a flat tire on the way to the wedding. I didn't know. I brought enough I brought enough oil for the circumstance that was anticipated, but I didn't know that this was going to happen. In fact, I thought everything will happen according to plan. And so I brought enough according to the plan that I had, the schedule that was going on. And so the foolish virgins somehow lived their lives in such a way that they did not need to make provision for themselves. So when the, when the midnight came, and their, their oil had, had, been, had been used up. And the bridegroom came, they found they had no oil for it because they had not bought extra. It's very interesting that they said to the wise virgins, give me some. And the wise virgin says, go buy some. The ones who say, give me some, was a little entitled, don't you think? The ones who are foolish were expecting other people to help them. Their idea was this, that the, 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 the community would support them, take care of them, that they deserve to be taken care of. They had been fed on advertisements on TV that kept on telling them, you deserve a better car. You deserve this. You should get the thing you deserve. I have never seen a culture that has so much you deserve in it. These are the ones who are foolish who say, I deserve to be taken care of. I don't know whether you deserve to be taken care of or not, but I think you, you should be taken care of. But there are situations that you face that, in which there just isn't that. It just isn't that. Situations which may be even unjust, or maybe not, but it just doesn't happen. The testing and the midnight hour is the time in which we are at our wits end, our schedulings end, our plannings end, and everything goes wrong. And may I suggest to you that perhaps our culture, 
conduces us to think that actually things will go according to our great planning. I come from a different culture. I come from a culture in which everything starts late. Everything's delayed. Petrol stations don't work. We have brownouts all the time. It's more brown than anything else. Sometimes we have electricity. I'm exaggerating. But, but you come from a culture in which things generally work. Perhaps not so much now, but it generally works. A, a well-developed culture. Good for you. Amen. But I come from a not-that-well-developed culture in which when I was in the East Coast planning churches, my teeth got so bad I went to see a dentist, and the dentist was sterilizing his equipment in a rice cooker. There was no anesthesia. There's no anesthesia. I came to the, 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 this wonderful dentist here in America, and even for a filling, they would give me anesthesia. What? I never had anesthesia for a filling. What's a filling? It's a small matter. But he gave me anesthesia so that I will not have any pain. Wow, this is a tremendous culture. But the problem is, and no, 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 uh, no criticism of that. The thing is this, we can sometimes end up with an expectation that we just need this much oil. Now, may I speak, may I, may I, may I speak into this metaphor oil? Oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And it speaks of the fact that the wise virgins can be interpreted to have had invested their lives in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. See, a relationship with the Holy Spirit is a personal one in which He begins to let you know what His presence feels like to you. You can't impose it upon other people, how you experience the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is objective, He's true but we experience it subjectively in a very different way. And if you invest your life, your heart, your mind in being congruent with the, with, the, with the ways of the Holy Spirit, you will begin to find that you will develop feel, a feel of it. It's not subjective, it's objective. The feel has to do with the fact that you know how to respond and identify something that comes that's not from you. It's not a subjective feeling. It's the Holy Spirit is objective. He's separate from you. He's different from you. He, he comes to you. He come, he's over against you. And, as, and I'm not, not against in the sense of not for you, but he is for you, but he comes as, as one who's, who's not you. He cannot be conflated, confused with who you are. The Holy Spirit is not subjective. The Holy Spirit is objective. He is nothing more objective than the Holy Spirit. He has so much being that you cannot fight him. He will object to you submit, sub, submitting him to your will. He will not let that happen. But he comes, when he comes, he will develop a relationship with you. And if you keep your eyes towards him and you keep on um, 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 and seeking his presence, you're going to find that his presence begins to be felt in a certain way in your heart. Amen? But it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. Your heart is conduced to Him in a certain way. So when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, I have no doubts that it's the Holy Spirit by now because of the fact that when He comes, there's this distinct taste, there's a t distinct feeling that, that touches not only my mind, not only my emotions, but my whole being. Amen? 
it just puts me in a whole different space. May I suggest to you that the non-foolish virgins develop the relationship with the Holy Spirit? Perhaps uh, something more practical may be helpful. How many, I I was going to say, how many of you do your devotions? I don't even want to ask. I assume you all do your devotions. And I assume that when you do your devotions, you spend a bit of time to quieten your heart. So much so that when your heart is quiet, you're not distracted. Make sense? But you know very well how easy it is to be distracted, right? Yeah, you can be very, very into God and suddenly your phone makes a little buzz or something like that and it changes the whole inside of you just by a little ding. Oh, metabolism changes. And so you know how easy it is to be distracted. So you want to find this space in which you are fixed upon God until everything becomes still. Amen? Okay, does it make sense? Are we, are we talking about the same experience? Yeah? Now, here's what I suggest. Have that regularly because that becomes your anchor. And then after that, try to extend that time, whether it's 15, 20, 30, two hours, into places where you tend to forget that the Holy Spirit is there. Can you imagine that? Just think about it. Outside of your quiet time, where do you tend to forget that the Holy Spirit is there? At work, perhaps? When you're talking to people, when urgent things happen? It's easy for us to just lose the Holy Spirit, so to speak. The Holy Spirit is like a dove, right? Very, very gentle, very sensitive. He he, he, uh, he alights upon your shoulder and my shoulder. And as we walk, if you jerk to some other at, uh, attention and forget him, he just flies away. Now he will come back when you invite him. But a lot of times, it takes a bit of time for our mind, our soul, to be more sensitized to him. Because we've got so much noise in our head. You have to give the time. The foolish virgins didn't give the time. That's why they didn't have oil. They didn't have the Holy Spirit's presence in them or rather with them. Do you think you can try that? Let's all think about a place in which you want to just target that place. Oh man, I always forget the Holy Spirit. I forget the Holy Spirit and I immediately go into my own self-appointed thinking and I try to, try to do it. I learned when I was a student that that's what I always did. I would be terrible at math. So when it came to math, I would go into panic mode. Then the Lord said, I'm with you. Bring me into your math. And I continued my prayer so that my thinking was not just a solipsism or a, a, a soliloquy, just talking to myself, trying to think it, think it out. I said, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me. And be open to the fact that Holy Spirit, because He's present, can give us thoughts. Because thought, not every thought is from the Holy Spirit, but because He's there, we just begin to get more proximate to Him. Amen? So I just want to invite you to just think about that. There's a place in which you tend to not 
remember the Holy Spirit. Begin to start praying for them. Write it down on your, your iPhone or whatever phone you're using or on your hand or whatever so that you remember that. Yeah? I used to do that when I was, a, when I was a, 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 a student when there was none. I would have two hands and I'll write one, something on one hand and on the other hand. And uh, after I finished my devotion, I'd walk and I'd just look at my hands just to remind me something silly like that. And I'm sure you can come up with something that's less silly. By doing that, we experience something that Psalm 36 says, in His light we will see light. In His light we will see light. See, what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do is to form our soul, form our emotions to such an extent that our emotions, our soul, our, our thoughts are more conduced to his, his truth and His presence. Yeah? When we do that, that happens. When that takes place, the Holy Spirit does not need to speak loudly to us. Doesn't need to speak loudly. Now, I come from a culture in which our parents don't affirm us that much. They don't praise us. Not like we all praise our children. We praise our children um, um, adequately, I'm sure. But my parents didn't do that much. We knew they loved us. And they didn't speak too much about how great we were. Never spoke, spoke about how great we were. So we got used to our parents not praising us, but praising other people's children, yes, but not us. So I remember when I came back to, to, to Malaysia and I was speaking in my my parents' church, and, uh, and God's Spirit was moving mightily in there. It was amazing. My mom, who was very quiet during the whole time, just came down to me and said, that was good. <laughs> I went, whoa! Because that little whisper spoke volumes to me. Does that make sense? Because I know her language. See, I know her heart. I know that my mom loves me so much, prays for me so much, and finds out about all that I'm doing in ministry all the time. I know that she's so on it, and she wishes the best for me and prays for the best of me, so that when she just says, that was good, I know as far as what she was feeling, she was screaming out from the mountaintops. Amen? Now, the Holy Spirit does mighty things, okay? But He does mighty things in secret. That's why He told Moses and the rest of the blokes, blokes in, uh, in, in, in Israel, He says like, you know, prophets, I give them a, 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 a facsimile or, or a similitude of that. But with Moses... I distinguish him from you because I speak to him mouth to mouth. And he says, you, Moses, you're going to go up to the mountain so that there will be a distinction between you and everybody else. What he's saying is this. To enter into the secrets of the Lord, you invest your time with him. You give him your time and you get more oil. 
and you can do the things that the Lord speaks in secret. Amen? Now, there's going to come a time in which you're going to need it because the midnight hour is coming. And the midnight hour is the time in which you will be at your wit's end. And I'm learning that God is training me that when I come to my wit's end, even though it's the most painful thing that I can imagine, the most difficult thing, it is in this zone that God actually works. Amen? All right. I think I'm only going to do um, the first parable, okay? There may be times in which you're going to need it because you may be in extreme circumstances, but I know the Lord is present here. I was put in many situations in which in ministering to people, people would come to me and tell me, you tell me what I'm going through. You say God is real. You, I just heard you speaking about hearing from God. You tell me what I'm going through, what, what God is telling me. And I found that many times I've been put in that situation. And thank God, God at that moment speaks it. If I had not spent time with Him, the moment someone challenges me like that, I'd go, ah, 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 what to do? And I, all, a, million, a million thoughts would come to my mind. Yeah? And so I just remember that one time, I think I shared this with you, I was, in, I was at Davis, and there was this woman who was there who was like really unhappy with Christianity and all, she hated Christianity, and she was, uh, and, and she, was uh, she didn't want to be there, but she had challenged them that God would not turn up for her. And so we were there on the last day of the conference and nothing had happened for her. She had just been completely closed off to it. And so I was praying for this group of people that had come to, to come up for prayer. And at the end of all that, I was completely exhausted. My mind was not even thinking straight. In fact, I told people that if you want prayer, come tomorrow morning because I, I was completely exhausted. But then someone came up to me and, and said, can you please pray for this particular person? And everybody knew who we were talking about because they were all praying for her. <laughs> she went to the back and there she was sitting with her, head, with her leg on, on the chair, just looking at, looking at me um, and saying, see, God didn't turn up, didn't come. And everybody was thinking, wow, the Lord hasn't turned up. Or we challenge her that God is going to come. And he didn't, he didn't come. We finished the ministry time. And I went, and she said, she refused to talk to me, but the ones who were kind of sponsoring her said, just pray for her. And the Lord gave me a word, you know, just like that. And I praise God that I wasn't flustered. And the Lord says, he is your mother. He is your mother. And it just some, I've never prayed like that before. He says, he's your mother, and he loves you like a mother. And I just prayed a few more things and she started weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. And God touched her and she healed her because she had a terrible relationship with her mother and her mother had cast her out and, and, and thrown her out of the house and all kinds of things. She could not imagine that God could actually love her. The next year, they invited me back to Davis again. <laughs> And she had invited over 20 people 
And there were 23 people who were there who wanted to see this God who could actually speak to you. Isn't it amazing? There's a midnight hour. You invest your time with the Lord. Invest on your oil. Don't expect people to just give it to you, always, always ministering to you. They will. They will do their best. But there may come times in which they are not available. But the Lord is there. And when you do that, He will actually come for you. Amen? Let us pray. Before we pray, I want to, I want, I want to, I want to tell you to think about a critical moment that you are facing, even now. As all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, a critical moment in which you seem to be losing grip of enthusiasm or hopes in God. You've just seen the other side of things. And it's developed a distinct negativity to God. The Holy Spirit is here with you and me. Perhaps there's been a delay in your life. A lot of times these delays speak one thing, that God's not going to come through or that you heard God wrong. Or that there's no future. Perhaps something that you dream, that was a dream has not turned out the way you expected. And God is speaking to dig us out of a hole. We welcome you, Lord. You're a shield about us and our glory and the lifter of our head. And so, Father, I, we come against every power of the enemy that has accused you and has accused us, that has made it feel that there is no hope, that God doesn't care about us, that things have after so much hopes and so much softening of the heart, just turn hard. We come against that right now. And we say, Lord, you are faithful. And even though we may not have much faith, we trust in you. In the name of Jesus, we come against that power that accuses the brethren and accuses God. We rebuke you right now in the name of Jesus that has caused people to sink in a hole of despondency and, dis and despair in the name of Jesus. If you have that, you just have that, you just lift it up to God. You don't need to solve it. You just bring it up to God and say, God, you do it. You do it. I don't know how to do it, but you do it. If there's anyone who's had a bad experience in church, has a bad experience in, uh, in, in trusting God, it didn't actually work, 
just lift it up to the Lord right now. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke every power, the spirit of hopelessness and the spirit of accusation in Jesus' name. We rebuke it and we break its power in the name of Jesus. And we ask you that you rush in right now. And we ask you that you release us and, and lift us up right now. Lift every person up who's had a bad experience, who have feels that they've been misled by God or misled by other people right now, in the name of Jesus. We welcome you, Lord. We welcome you, Lord. And I want to invite you to just lift up your hands, and just open them to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can soften a heart. If your heart has been hardened and you know it, and it's hard for you to forgive, I want to invite you to just lift it up before the Lord. You don't have to soften your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can. But you can lift it up before the Lord and say, Lord, come and soften my heart right now so that I dare to follow you even in those crazy places where you're about to do a miracle. In the name of Jesus, we welcome you, Lord. Bless your name, Lord. I feel the Holy Spirit right now wants to permeate our thinking. He wants to come in to our processes. Sometimes we're not even aware what those processes are. But if we just open it up to you right now, Holy Spirit, you promise you will come in and you will renew our yes, minds. Lord. You will renew that which has been dying, that which has been languishing, that which has been in a drought place. Right now, Holy Spirit, come, give us your water. And I see a picture right now of a faithful farmer. He has his... Uh, his, he's furrowing, he's furrowing the ground. I don't know the name of that instrument, but I just see him faithfully. He's furrowing you. Don't be afraid when you see something you're afraid, it might be a hole. Just welcome him there, right there. He's going to put his seed right in that place. I also had a word, and I don't know if it's someone here. Someone is having inflammation, inflammation in the brain, encephalitis. It might be someone on, online right now, but Lord, we know that you can come on the physical part, yes, just like Lord. communion, but also the inside of that mind. You do both. So we welcome you to touch the inflammation in the brain Amen. while you change the mind right now in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you, Lord. Just receive him. Even now, the processes of the Holy Spirit are underway as we open our doors to him. We welcome you, Lord. Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to end this meeting and close in prayer. Afterwards, we will have time for people to come up if they want prayer. Please do. Feel free to receive prayer. The Lord hasn't finished with us. Beyond the boundaries of this service, He's at work, perhaps even more. So Lord, we thank you for your presence with us, for speaking. And we ask you that you continue to have a grip on us, Lord, in those places where we tend to forget you. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.